Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott, and this week I'm chatting with Jamie Barty, VFX supervisor at FuseFX. British but based in Fuse's Canada office, Jamie has worked on a huge array of shows for the company, including The Orville, Fort Salem, La Brea, Snowpiercer, Upload, many, many more, and we delve into some of those during the interview. However, we begin by chatting about his most recent project, which is I'm a Virgo, which is now available available on Prime Video all over the world. From director Boots Riley, I'm a Virgo is a fantastical coming-of-age story about a 13-foot-tall man, Cootie, who is hidden in Oakland, California, but escapes to experience the world. On his journey, he forms friendships, finds love, encounters awkward situations, and so much more. The series stars Gerald Jerome in the lead role as Cootie, along with Brett Gray, Michael Epps, and a bunch of other fantastic cast. Fuse Effects collaborated closely with Boots to create Cootie's world. What's very interesting about the show is it uses a lot of practical in-camera effects, which is then enhanced by the CG. And the team at Fuse helped implement the VFX trickery to give Cootie his impressive 13-foot-tall stature. They also use miniatures, puppets full digi double characters cg props they shrunk other characters and use lots of camera and compositing trickery the team strive to achieve a realistic blend of practical in-camera effects mixed together with that cg and digital compositing if you want to catch i'm a virgo it is available now on prime video the whole series is up there it's well worth a look so along with talking about I'm a Virgo, we also chat about La Brea, some of his work on the Orville. We talk about Snowpiercer, including the as yet released season four. We also talk a little bit about Orphan Black Echoes as well, which he also worked on. If you'd like to hear more behind the scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio. This will also give you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast, which brings you all the latest TV, film and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest UK and US TV premiere dates. Here's the interview with Jamie Barty, VFX supervisor for Fuse Effects. Thank you for coming on and 
spending a little bit of time to chat to me about your work. It's a really interesting show that you're uh, working on or have been working on quite recently. Before we get into that, do you just want to introduce yourself and explain how you got into the industry in the first place and and how you ended up sort of, because you're English, how did you end up in Canada? (laughs) Yeah, no problem. So my name's Jamie Barty. I'm a visual effects supervisor for FuseFX in Vancouver in our BC office. That's what I do now. Uh, How I got here, uh, how far back do we go? Wow. So back at school, back in sort of high school, I've always enjoyed movies and TV, uh, particularly growing up. I had a large like DVD collection, videos before that. I've always enjoyed film and, and TV. And when at school, they had the option of doing film studies and media studies, two separate things where I could sit and watch TV for school. I jumped at the chance. So yeah, right. Who wouldn't? So, um, so I, yeah, in, in high school, I did both film studies and media studies, kind of similar. One one sort of was focused on film, of course, and one also covered you know theater and poster design and stuff like that, web design, things like yeah. that. So that's kind of how I got my first foot into the, the door. And then as I carried on through school, I just started dropping all the subjects I was less interested in, like business studies and PE and, and <laughs> I want to say useful things, but um, <clears throat> this turned out okay. Uh, yeah, I, I got more and more into film and media side of stuff. So then I went to university for that. I finished university with a, a degree in film production, essentially, and then didn't actually do much in the way of visual effects or anything digital. I wanted to get hands on and be like on set and out and about. You know, I didn't really want to be behind a desk. So I picked up a camera and ended up doing lots of camera work for just various like advertising web stuff. I filmed horse racing at one point. I worked for a charity, just did loads of like camera work and photography and stuff. And that slowly led into me editing my own projects and and getting sort of further into the editing side of things, which then led into, oh, I'd love to just fix this thing in the corner. I'd love to just mm. oh, work on that bit over there, which kind of then got me into compositing and into the broad world of visual effects, which is kind of when I got my first real job in the visual effects industry, um, which was a small company in Winchester, which is where I went to university in the UK, small, small town in the UK, at a small studio called Bandito. There's a, a friend of mine from university, Mark Braithwaite. He was already working there. He, he fell into visual effects straight away and I fell into the camera side of things and they needed someone to kind of go out on set and supervise some work for the Discovery Channel at the time. And uh, Mark had this visual effects brain and I had this camera sort of onset brain. So we figured we'd put ourselves together and become sort of a supervisor, a visual effects supervisor. So mm-hmm. we did just that and we... Not bad for my first job, but we got sent to Morocco and the <laughs> Philippines and nice. Chicago and like all around the world to supervise some shoots for Discovery Channel. And then I stuck around for, for a while. I was at Bandito for a few years. The owner of the studio, Steve Gomez, put a film together. He wrote and directed a, a film called Kill Command, which we worked on. There's there maybe 10 of us in the studio at the time, like in total. But we finished Kill Command and it bankrupted the studio. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it's out. It's on Netflix. I think you can go watch it. It's awesome. You'd never never guessed it was made by the smallest visual effects team ever, but um, <laughs> that kind of used up all of his money. So I had to decide what to do next. Uh, I freelanced in and around London for a little bit, but I was living outside of London and it just got silly. After a couple of years of doing that, I thought either I've got to move into London and do this for real, or mm-hmm. I could kind of move anywhere in the world. So me and my now wife could get a working holiday visa for Canada. Vancouver made the most sense. So came here. I interviewed at loads of companies when I first landed. I just really liked the vibe of Fuse Effects at the time. So I gave them a shot and I'm still here seven years later. So <laughs> that's, that's the long 
short of it. Anyway, yeah, yeah. excellent. That's a good way to get in. And you're right. I mean, if you're going to have to move into London, you may as well just like pick somewhere at least slightly more interesting. And that's it. And we had the opportunity. And I think you needed to be under 30 at the time for this working holiday visa. And, and we ticked all the boxes. Like we had a degree. We were under 30 just. And mm. um, yeah, we thought we'd just go for it. So cool. Good decision. Yeah. So, and I mean, Fuse uh, got a wonderful selection of stuff that we worked on. As mentioned before, we started recording. I mean, Outer Banks, She-Hulk, The Orville, Miss Marvel. I mean, plus movies and all sorts of other. I mean, there's a whole range of, of things they worked on. The project that you've picked up most recently, really quite interesting. It's I'm a Virgo on Prime Video, which is from Boots Riley, who is a, a wonderfully interesting director. And it's a really odd story because it's mm-hmm. this the tagline that he sent to uh, Gerald Jerome, who plays Cootie, the lead character in it, was 13 foot black man in Oakland. That was the headline of the email. And that's basically oh. the setup for it. That's how he kind of roped him into it. It's this sort of fantastical story of this giant teenager that is in Oakland and his life and he's been very secluded and he's now going out and hanging out with friends. Mm -hmm. When you first saw this, what were you given? I mean, presumably you were quite involved from the beginning of that process or I mean, where did you come in? Yes and no. So Fuse Effects were somewhat involved fairly on in the process, but before even we'd seen the scripts, the client side sort of visual effects supervisor, a guy called Todd Perry was working with Boots to try and bring this world to life and to try and figure out the major story points and some of the um, bigger visual effects set pieces. Yeah. And just generally the whole the whole premise of having a big dude with normal people, you know, how yeah. you can film that and and put that puzzle together. So Todd was the one doing all the problem solving and troubleshooting sort of ahead of time. When I got involved with it, it was at the script stage. So Todd knows the head of the studio, Fuse Effects at the time. So that was kind of our in. And, and I just happened to have some time that week, I think, between projects. So, hey, here's some scripts. Take a look see what you think. So um, yeah, I read through them and and we we break the scripts down, try and figure out what we think is going to be visual effects, what might not be, and then present that to Todd who might sort of, there might be a bit bit of back and forth where he says, oh, actually I had planned on this thing being visual effects or or not this thing. So you can kind of work with Todd to to sort of try and plan what will eventually become visual effects. And then uh, obviously that all changes when they shoot it sometimes, uh, depending on what they can and can't get in camera and on set. So Todd did sort of the heavy lifting of, of figuring the things out. I was more to do with the, the post-production side. So once right. he'd figured it out and shot the stuff, right, this is what you've got to work with. You go make it work now. That's kind of my involvement. It's an interesting one in terms of the effects side of things as well, because of the fact that Boots wanted to do a lot of stuff in camera. Indeed. So they're using a lot of forced perspective. I mean, there's a surprising amount of stuff in that show that I think people will look at and assume it's like a digital effect and it isn't it's been a practical effect where they've using the sort of forced perspective thing like they did in Lord of the Rings do you want to just talk through some of the bits and pieces you did do what your work was on the actual effect side of things on the show yeah definitely yeah and there's, there's a lot of that like you say things that you would expect to be digital or think to be digital are ultimately practical and that was sort of by design to try and subvert expectations and just to try and get as much practically as possible even in the post-production side and I gave this example a couple of days ago, 
there's a little thought bubble comes out of Cootie's head at one point and you think, oh, that's just some motion graphics. They would do that digitally, easy peasy, no problem. But we actually went through and printed every frame of that thought bubble onto paper and then scrunched it up physically and photographed it practically so that we could get this kind of practical stop motion sort of visual effect in the show. Wow. And uh, that really fit the vibe of the show. And, and yeah, Boots really liked that. But in terms of the, the heavier actual sort of visual effects sequences, the, the main one for us in Fuse Effects was the sideshow car sequence in episode one where Cootie's just got out and about with his friends and they end up at the the car show and they're doing burnouts and he's hanging off the side, uh, smoke going everywhere. Everyone's cheering for him and he sort of finds his place in the world almost. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was one of the the, the largest singular sequence that we did. And then there was a just a lot kind of scattered throughout. There's a lot of whilst they did get a lot in camera, there's a little bit of sort of helping that process along a little bit in some cases with uh, just compositing to kind of hide some scenes and just make sure it just comes together for the final product. Yeah. We're also very involved with the character of the hero, the sort of Iron Man, Robocop. Right. um, Yes. Authoritarian figure played by Walter Goggins was was on wires, essentially hanging around in a green screen studio for a lot of his work, just sort of dangling. So we then added the environment around him and any sort of atmospheric effects. He's got the backpack and the rotor that help him fly. So we added all of that digitally as well. And we do have a full digital version of the hero, which we used in a handful of shots for some sort of stunt work and just general digi double kind of takeovers uh, mm-hmm. work like that. And then there's just little bits sprinkled throughout. Um, we ended up doing just over 230 shots, I believe, from memory. Wow. It's a little while ago now, but across the whole show. The riot sequence is another one of ours where Scat passes and there's that riot outside and tear gas going everywhere. And then Cootie jumps the crowd and sprays a name on the wall. That's that's sort of our sequence as well. Yeah, but there was us and another sort of main vendor on the show, which is Crafty Apes. So the heavy lifting was split between us two. And then there's a couple of other smaller vendors, I think, that picked up some straggler bits and bobs around. Right, yeah. But the main one really is just is that episode one yeah. sequence. If you wanted to sort of focus on a single sequence, that's that was the meat of our work. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, with that sequence, they were using a mixture of it was miniatures and stuff with mm-hmm. to achieve that. What are you actually doing in terms of replacing bits? Is it sort of the wheels and the burnouts and, and that sort of stuff that you're putting? What are you actually doing with that? I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> in the end, it's it's almost everything. So it's great that you had to ask. Um, yeah. yeah. So they did. They did have miniatures and, and they had miniatures for everything in almost every sequence, even if it wasn't a visual effects sequence and they were getting everything in camera. They always had miniatures or, or the bigotures if it was Cootie. They had a 30 yeah. foot tall puppet for Cootie and then they had all the other characters miniaturized so that on set they could block it out, put everyone where they should be, you know, if it was real and then figure out how they're going to shoot it. For this sequence in particular, they did create a miniature car so that Jarrell could be sitting on the sort of half-sized car so he looked twice as big. This miniature car that they built was on its side on a, on a rig that they were spinning in a car park so that they could try and kind of get the vibe as close as possible in camera. So Jarrell's hanging off this miniature car and there are little miniature puppets sitting in the seats that are sort of, you know, you've got Felix driving and Jones and I think Scat's in the back. So we've got miniature everything around Jarrell. Then when you get it into post-production, they weren't able to spin the car as fast as they'd like to kind of, for health and safety reasons, Yeah, it wasn't as dramatic as they kind of intended it to be. So that's where we stepped in. We completely removed the rig, of course, to start off with, and then the entirety of the environment around them, and then did some versions for boots where we kind of kept spinning the car faster and faster and faster until he found a speed that he liked, which ended <laughs> up being somewhere between three and four times faster than it was. Right. 
originally on set. And then you kind of, as you get go down that road, you start finding more problems that you then need to sort of solve. So once it's spinning faster and we added all the, the set around him with all the lights and the rest of the cars as well that are circling them with their headlights pointing in, all of that's digital and the ground as well so that the lights cast light on the ground. Right. Um, so all that's digital. We're spinning everything. And then you start to realize that the shadows being cast on the miniature car, they're not spinning at the same speed as the background. <laughs> so then right. we had to do a, a digital version of the miniature car to replace the car. We had to do digital wheels anyway, so that the car could be sitting on the ground properly. And then we had little digital characters as well inside the digital car. So when you get down to it, it's the ground, it's the wheels, it's the car, it's the smoke coming off the wheels, the cars around them and all the lights, and then the, the environment behind it. The only thing left that's real is Cootie. So Jarrell <laughs> is the last sort of photographed piece and the rest becomes digital. But that was that's why it became such a big sequence. And it's mm -hmm. quite a few shots as well from start to finish. Yeah, um, that, That's also why it was a fun one. You know, it's, it was a great sequence to work on. Lots of departments involved and a really cool kind of outcome. Yes, that's really awesome. I mean, it, it ends up with the stuff that they shot in camera in that particular sequence ends up sort of just being referenced. Reference, than, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's still great that they did it. And, and yeah, totally. And had, had health and safety not got in the way, they probably could have got the whole thing in camera and maybe we just added the smoke at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's yes. what we're here for, to kind of no, pull these sequences together. Don't want to be damaging your star by throwing him out of a no. miniature car. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> That'd be a weird one to put on the insurance, yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> it's a really good shot as well. I mean, it, work, it works incredibly well. You wouldn't know what was changed and what wasn't, I think. Um, oh, thank you. I, and I mean, the whole show is a fascinating and re really interesting show. Boots is a really intriguing director, I think, and yeah. creator. Yeah, um, a great dude as well. I'm sure. It's a really interesting show and a really fascinating idea and uh, very much enjoyed watching through that. And was there anything that you sort of learned working on this particular show sort of skills that you picked up that maybe you hadn't done before? I think generally it's just the whole force perspective side of things. That's not something that's come up in shows I've done before. Mm -hmm. And just the way we approached it both in preparation and sort of onset and then on the, the post-production side, that in itself was a big learning curve. You know, just all the thought that Todd and Scott and the onset team did ahead of time to plan this stuff out. I think Scott actually created a whole digital camera system. I think it was in Unreal or, or something like that where he could plan out all the shots and then it would tell him exactly where Cootie needed to be in relation to the camera and how high he needs to be, like what kind of platform in order for them to get these shots in camera, which was wild, but worked. And yes. um, just that whole, like I, I was a bit too young to work on Lord of the Rings, but that was definitely an inspiration. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is the first time I've done any sort of that forced perspective work. That was probably the biggest takeaway. And even silly things as well, like they mathed out his weight, for example. So <laughs> if, if, he, if this fella's two times bigger than everyone else, he's not just twice as heavy, he's twice as wide, twice as deep and twice as high, which means he's cubed. So he's eight times heavier than a regular person. So they kind of, <laughs> they, they planned all of this out and they thought about all of this. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, that didn't really play into the show much. Uh, the only time it really made any sort of consideration was when he was sitting on the back of the car. If yeah. you had someone that weighed a ton sitting on Felix's kind of beat up wagon, it wouldn't go anywhere very fast. So you do the math and then you, you take a look and 
you think actually that's not very practical we'll pull the math back a bit and we'll just do what <laughs> works for the show but yeah all, all the sort of preparation that went into it was incredible from all the departments yeah yeah fascinating show the fact that he he was even trying to do stuff in camera I, and pulled quite a lot of it off you know yeah. he, he's you know with the the puppets and the force perspective and all that sort of stuff it's yeah. quite rare unless you're Chris Nolan <laughs> and have a budget of a billion dollars yes <laughs> and then we don't talk budgets often but they didn't have a Chris Nolan budget you know it's no, I'm first TV sure. show yeah. second project ever you know there are yeah. um, concessions that need to be made for sure yeah yes a couple of other things you did work on you did some work on Snowpiercer mm-hmm. which season were you working on because there is the lost fourth and final season which hasn't come out anywhere yet was it that season you were working on or was it the previous seasons not that I expect you to know anything about what's going on with the full season because I mean they've no. not said anything so but yes they haven't Snowpiercer is an interesting one and I'm glad you brought it up because that's I've been involved with all of the seasons oh, um, cool. all, all four from start to finish and that's been a really big part of my sort of journey at Fuse Effects because I didn't join them as a visual effects supervisor I joined as a compositor yes actually I think technically on paper my role might have been generalist but anyway I joined as an artist so season one I was just sort of working on the shots I was an artist we did quite a lot of work in season one uh, season two I was then a compositing supervisor so I was kind of in charge of the compositing department which is the 2D side of things mm-hmm. um, kind of like Photoshop for video so I was in charge of the compositing department and then season three I, I was the visual effects supervisor for it so that was like a each season I got a little bit of a promotion which is kind of cool and it was a nice nice show to have that journey on as well because good relations with the client on that and season three actually got nominated for an Emmy as well yeah. which is a nice little punctuation mark to the journey season four I did work on as well I, I supervised that show like you say it hasn't come out yet I'm looking forward to its release <laughs> at some point when they decide where it's going to be yes. right yeah watch this space I think I, I don't have any information on that no no, no I'm sure it, but, um, yeah I, I, it, hopefully it'll find a home somewhere because it's uh, we're done on it I think I can say that that the visual effects at least my, my work on it is done so yeah. hopefully it's just sitting there waiting to be uploaded somewhere yeah so it sounds like it's complete because all the photography was done on it and that sort of stuff so it is a weird one that Mm. and i'm surprised netflix haven't picked it up because netflix air it internationally i mean it airs netflix over here so I'm, I'm very surprised that it's not gone out on yeah. that, even if they've not found a new home for it in the USA, which is yeah. Weird. And you know, I'm sort of a few steps detached from the Netflix side of things, so I don't know about the politics or the, the agreements yeah, yeah. or whatever. But yeah, I think it did. It aired maybe like the week after it was airing on TNT or the day after or something. A day after, yeah. Day after, yeah. So a weekly release, much like TNT. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going to go. Yeah, on with it. I'm. Yeah. I'm surprised that they haven't done a, a deal for that. I mean, you know, we're getting to the point where I'm sure they'll run out of content. To, at some point in the not too distant future, so you know, maybe, just, yeah, particularly with the, the current strikes. So, yes, yes maybe. with the current strikes, the way they are. There was a couple of other things you worked on La Brea, I think you did some bits and pieces on. I did, yeah, yeah. That, that was another large one a year or two ago because we, we did Fuse Effects did work on season two but I think I was busy with Snowpiercer instead but yes right. yeah, season one of La Brea we did big sinkhole in LA lots yeah. of large effects I love sequences. that it's a wonderfully silly story I, it's great. I haven't watched that one myself but the sequence was the sinkhole well. stuff yeah. big sinkhole yeah just dropping cars into an enormous sinkhole um, yes yes yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah. that's, that's no, a big so, one. So you were, yeah, so you were doing that sort of stuff rather than the sort of animal kind of stuff on that one because there's there's creatures season one. Yeah, we didn't do the animals on that. That was a, that was a different studio. We yeah. did uh, a lot of the effects work. That's kind of what we excel at, I think, in Vancouver at least. Fuse effects is the effects work, which is sort of your your digital fire and water and smoke yeah. and kind of environment effects. Yeah, that's our bag. Yes, I noticed you've worked on Upload as well, which is another Prime Video series. Yeah, um, that's a big throwback. Pre- COVID that one I just bring that up because I loved that show I thought it was it was just wonderfully silly in, in terms of an idea what so what sort of stuff were you doing on that oh wow all sorts I think we did most of the work for that show some ones that spring to mind immediately is the the butler who kind of pops into multiple butlers and disappears and runs right, around. Yes, yes. Um, but I know there's a lot of background work as well, set extensions. And mm-hmm. there's also the digital, what are they called? Angels effect. Yes. So anytime she popped in and out and it was just sort of like lots of smaller things sprinkled throughout the whole show. But that's, that yeah. was a long time ago. Like I say, pre-COVID, so it must be four years ago. <laughs> I can barely remember what I did four hours ago. So. Yes, in the before <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yes, yes. The sort of pre-COVID and post-COVID do, do seem like a gaping like massive hole in the middle of it yeah exactly and you might not have my full credit history because i'm not very good at keeping it up to date particularly on imdb let me copy that over to the chat oh all from black echoes yeah that's another one that's, that's the new one yes that's the new one so um, that that's one i'll probably be doing some promo for hopefully soon but again i don't think it has a release date so no it's... not yet um, right so, so that was a that was another a big one that was actually with the same client from snowpiercer so i'd been working with jeff and Darren for many years through Snowpiercer and then when they landed Orphan Black they said right let's take this to Fuse FX let's take this to Jamie so that was an awesome show to get as well yeah very different yeah I know you won't be able to go into any sort of detail but the mm-hmm. we know from Orphan Black that it deals with clones mm-hmm. so presumably there are a number of characters you are having to make clones of in that show I would assume probably can't even answer that honestly <laughs> <laughs> yes or a no probably gives too much away so I'm just going to leave that one ambiguous yes yeah, yeah, yes yeah. okay yes that would get you in trouble um, but yeah, yeah, yeah the Orville season 3 I, I'm sort of hopeful that maybe he does decide to do more of that show because the work you did on the latest season I thought was phenomenal and yeah. it was one of the things that was noted by the fans as well was like the effects work on that season was really good you I'm know. really glad yeah um, I'm really glad it, it was there was a lot of comments about that so uh, what sort of stuff were you doing on, on that because I mean I know we spoke to who was it about the Orville? it was Tommy Tommy, Tommy Tran yes. yeah Tommy Tran yeah so in this sort of the same way that Snowpiercer has been a pretty big show for the BC studio in its history the Orville has been a big show for the LA studio. So it's mm-hmm. definitely sort of an LA LA show. You know, its home is there. And then my role was just one sequence. I say just one sequence, but it was an episode eight, I want to say, of season three, which was a, a chase sequence through a canyon. So there's a couple of ships chasing another one. Yes. So it was about an eight minute long sequence. It was a very long sequence, but um, BC stepped in and we took that sequence over just to sort of help out. We had some capacity at the time and LA was slammed with the entirety of the show. So we took that sequence and actually in BC, we used that sequence to test 
Unreal Engine for anyone techie out there. We normally work in, uh, at the time, Maya, nowadays uh, Houdini, and all of our rendering is sort of Houdini and Arnold. But um, a lot of noise, this was a few years ago, was being made about Unreal and how this could speed up the process and it's kind of the new way of working. And we thought this was the perfect sequence to test it on because it's one environment, sort of a hard surface environment, not a crazy amount of foliage or trees or grass or Mm -hmm. anything. It's just that sandy rock environment with a couple of um, hard surface vehicles inside, you know, the, the ships that are flying around. So we use that sequence and that show to build an entire Unreal pipeline along with the team to surround it and um, use that to get the episode done in a timely manner. How was that process versus Unreal versus Houdini and the, the other stuff that you were using? Any preferences? Of, was it something that you've carried on with or is it flipped? between the it was actually an enormous learning curve and might have been more effort than it was worth (laughs) um yeah just because it was a it was extremely different way of doing things especially for sort of bc where we have a really strong compositing team so we would normally we'd get the renders looking as good as they can and then they would render out things called aovs which are arbitrary output variables where you can output all these sort of data passes and lighting passes and we just hand hundreds of images over to the compositing team and say right there you go now make it look good but unreal doesn't work that way it doesn't at least not by default it doesn't output those sorts of data passes and those sorts of images so we really had to shift our mindset quite a lot and get it as close as we could in 3D in Unreal um, mm-hmm. and take it to sort of 99%. And then the compositing team just threw on the last little bit of you know sprinkle of polish here and there and that sort of thing. We did also still need to use Houdini because there are a lot of dust effects and explosions and rocket trails yeah. and things like that. And none of those elements could be rendered in Unreal at the we're going to say at the time, but probably still to this day, just due to the size of the data. Like each mm. frame of an explosion can be hundreds of gigabytes of data. And Unreal just it just can't handle that. So uh integrating all these different renders together was also a little bit of a challenge. So yeah, we built some tools and we built some systems and we did learn a lot and we have used it in some sequences and some shows going forwards, but it wasn't quite the silver bullet that we hoped it would be to sort of revolutionize the visual effects industry. Right. Um, and we are yeah. still using majority of sort of Houdini Maya still. So, you know, this was also back before Unreal 5. I know a lot of things changed with um, Lumen Ah. and some of the new technologies that came with Unreal 5. We were still working in Unreal 4 at the time just because of we happened to start production in Unreal 4 and to shift everything mid-show wasn't very practical. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we certainly have an eye on Unreal as a a technology um, and real-time rendering and we certainly have a department that still keep an eye on that stuff. I just, I personally haven't made much use of it recently um, just due to the show have been on and some of the work we've been doing right cool last couple of questions for you before we get to those anything else you want to mention anything else you're sort of working on or things to look out for that are coming out that you can talk about that are coming out no not not in any detail you know we mentioned uh, snowpiercer season four and orphan black echoes which are somewhere waiting to be <laughs> yes uploaded and released to the world and then currently i can say that i'm working on dark matter for apple and cool. that's with john heller my good friend from back in the day and he You've spoken to him before. That's one of the podcasts I was listening to was a bit of a training, I guess, for this. Yes. the podcast with John Heller, but um, yeah, me and him worked together on Penny Dreadful. Right, yes. Way back when. Um, so that's where we first kind of connected and now we're back together for Dark Matter. Yes, that's um, Joel Edgerton, I think. That's right, yeah, Joel Edgerton, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Connolly. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, Jimmy Simpson. That looks like it could be kind of an interesting one. That it's a, it is a sci-fi show. Don't know much more about it than that because they haven't really released anything. I don't if think. not, no. And I've not read the book yet myself either. I know no, it's based on a book. That could be an interesting one. So, 
yes, that's worth looking out for. Last couple of questions for you. First question is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Oh, that's a tricky one for me because I don't generally watch a lot of TV, if you can believe it. What were the last things you watched? It was Virgo. <laughs> yeah, it, it was I'm a Virgo. Uh, honestly, I'm trying to think. I watched some stuff on, I, I went to Comic-Con last week, week before, which was a privilege. I watched some stuff on the plane, but it was, oh, yeah. uh, I was watching um, The Last Dance, which is sort of a documentary on the Chicago Bulls and yes. Michael Jordan. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of watch more movies and play more video games than I do TV, unfortunately. Sorry. Now, what games are you playing at the moment then? Games is Dave the Diver would be the main one currently, which is a, a little indie title. Recently. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> that one that's such a cute little premise if you haven't played Dave the Diver do it's brilliant yeah I've played around with that a little bit I'm trying to sort of beat my satisfactory addiction at the moment but I'm, okay. I'm sort of treading water until Starfield comes out so right. yeah, <laughs> my, my addiction would be uh, Overwatch I still can't put that down so um, ah, yeah. yeah so I'm trying, right. to, trying to wean myself off Overwatch with uh, smaller sort of indie titles that I can pick up yes. and put down yes so. definitely worth doing uh, Starfield yeah. and City Skylines 2 are the two that I'm uh, the big two that I'm waiting for but yeah Yes. Yeah, Starfield for sure. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, can be something from the past, something present day, or some sort of future genre maybe you've not worked in before, what show would it be? Oh, wow. I should have thought about some of these and prepared. Um, That's all right. I oh, did. no, no. Actually, no. I, and, and this is a one that I have actually done a very small amount of work on in the past, but I would love to do more work for Black Mirror. Yes. Black Mirror is fantastic. Um, yes. Almost everything that Charlie Brooks touches is gold uh, and every season surpasses the last so, so I did some work I think it was season three with the phones and they voted on each other they kind of gave each other stars out of five and they flicked oh, each yeah. other's stars I, so I, I did some work on the phones I kind of tracked some of the, the phone screens eight years ago ten years ago yeah. um, so minor amount of work on that but I'd love to have an episode you know and, and take it from start to finish yeah. yeah that's a really good one to pick I think because mm. it's interesting and different from episode to episode mm-hmm. it's interesting that they opened this one with the Joni's awful episode and then all the strike happened and it's basically well if you want to know why we're striking watch yep. this absolutely <laughs> yeah again that's the I mean he, it's just, he's just a genius I don't yeah. know how he sees the future but he's doing it and he makes incredible TV out of it so yeah yeah I know he is brilliant ever since the screen white things that he used to do over here mm-hmm. has, have been out. I've been a huge huge fan agreed awesome thank you for spending a little bit time to chat with me I'm a Virgo is up on Prime Video right now so you can go and watch that don't know whether it's coming back for a second season or whether it's going to be a one-off or, or what at the moment we, we don't know I mean they leave it on a pretty strong cliffhanger I don't so, to, I, this, this isn't a spoiler of season 2 I just don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it yet that is listening to this so yeah I mean I would hope for a season 2 of course um, yeah. as an audience member and as a supervisor visual supervisor so yeah so hopefully we'll see that back but uh, yeah and then Orphan Black Echoes Dark Matter and Snowpiercer if it ever decides to pull into Maybe. a station somewhere. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for spending the time and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been good fun. Cheers. Bye. Bye.